Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Justin, just making sure that I got your face on that camera and everything. But uh, you said uh, your uncles came up here first. Yeah, uncle and aunt. Sister Uncle and, and brother, aunt. yep, and then from, my father from my father's side. Uh, what what part? Where did they come from? Oh, Alabama, Oxford, Alabama, and Anniston, Alabama. Okay, now I'm I'm big on this whole Detroit Black history. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, because I don't know if you've known this, as I ask most people, it is three primary states okay. where people come from. <laughs> it seems like Black folks, the Great Migration. It's yeah. Alabama. Mississippi and Georgia when it comes to Detroit. Okay. Um, different states, obviously, for like different cities, right. like Cleveland or Chicago or Pittsburgh or whatever. But um, also, some of those states kind of settled in different neighborhoods. Like Black Bottom kind of had like its old Alabama <laughs> corner and everything. So, okay. where whereabouts do you know your uncle settled when he first got this way? Um, they all settled in. Um I don't know if there's like a particular name of the neighborhood, you know. Uh, I think, well, we're in like the Davison, Dexter, mm-hmm. Linwood area. So I don't know what you call that. But okay. that's where we are. And, and that's where we still are. That's where my parents are. And that's where my uncle and aunt's house still lives. Yep. Okay. So like Central's neighborhood. Central High School. Yep. That's where I went. Okay, okay. Um, All right. Uh, Northwestern, so I will not hold that against you. <laughs> um, now, as we talk about uh, Central and coming here in the 60s, yeah. that's the neighborhood where the rebellion took place. Correct. So what year did your uncle get here and did they like kind of ran right into everything? It's like really also that that neighborhood was as this really kind of this neighborhood itself it was sitting in but that neighborhood was transitioning fast from a completely jewish community to a black community so they got here after the rebellion was over maybe by a year year and a half after okay and being that they were blocks away from it uh, your uncle just looked at it like eh, you know i don't care i don't know if i mean i really don't think that they had the awareness of what occurred prior i really don't because it was just like wow yeah here's property this. is cheap right here. <laughs> i really do think that's what it was uh-huh. and also um where their location on the schools that they were teaching so my aunt is a was a teacher and so is my father so i i really do think that it was location 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 was close to the schools that they were teaching at and that's what really made them pick this area i had i don't think they had any clue that the riot or rebellion happened so close to where they were okay um as you talk about no clue about that Let's talk a little bit more about Alabama itself. Have you <laughs> ever been to the hometown where your family's from? Yeah. So we, when we were younger, we used to do uh, family reunions a lot more. Um, I even got a chance to go to my grandparents' 50th wedding. They re- renewed their vows, which mm-hmm. was like an amazing experience to be a part of that. 
and just meeting your cousin sometimes because we're we were in the Midwest and they're in the South. You probably never met them, and then you finally get to see people that look like you, got the same last name as you, mm-hmm. and all of that. So and seeing how they live compared to how you live, and it, it was that those were good experiences. And you know, as you get older. We start going to college, and everybody start going to these other states. You know that the, you know the family reunions kind of dwindled out. But yeah, we got to go there and really see where the folks lived and how they lived. Yep. All right. So you're talking about where and how they lived. Yeah. Small town, uh, larger city. Uh, what was the feel of it? So my dad's from Oxford, and at that time, it was an outskirt of Aniston, so it was a lot more rural than Aniston, which was more urban. Okay. And so my dad's uh, family house was on, like, acres of land. Like, you Hmm. literally could not see where this land ended. Okay. And this little house on these, like, blocks, you know, they were sitting up off of the ground. And uh, that's As they called it like those shotgun houses. It, it was so, probably bigger than a shotgun. It mm-hmm. was a little bit. It was a little bit. Big, yeah, it was a lot bit bigger than a shotgun. A shotgun but crib. okay, being on that much land, it just made it seem so small. And okay, knowing that my parent, at least one of my parents, lived on that much land, it was just a different a different thought process because mm-hmm. what you were learning was what you learned about the south from the books you know Mm -hmm. but to go there and see this is where you know this was my parents experience right Mm. it it was a little different than what i read in the books and what i so when you talk about that so on that land was it a lot of farming was it agricultural what was the what was the lay of the land what were they doing with all the land i'm not real sure i'm pretty sure they um it was more dairy, but at that point, there was nothing there but the land and the house. So hmm. there was no more farming happening with my folks at that point. Uh-huh. But um, there was definitely a lot of a lot of land there, and there were certain things that they still had to do. As mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, we have our refrigerators and we have all these different things and technology mm-hmm. in our house that my parents didn't grow up with. So. Um, part of that land was probably those types of things, like a, a ice house and, you mm-hmm. know, those kind of things. So, yeah, but when we went there, it was really the house and a lot of land. And it, it that really blew my mind. And I think it also blew away my siblings to see all of that. Okay, your mom. Where's your mom from? My mom's from Aniston, and um, she had a different type of upbringing. Those definitely still some farming and all that, uh, but... They moved around a lot more than my mm-hmm. my dad did. My dad, they tend to stay where in that one location. But as far as my mom, there's these streets that they were named after alphabets A, B, C, D, E, F, all that. And she used to say, "I think we lived on every single street, mm. alphabet street, um, in Aniston when she grew up." So wow. just saying how many times they ended up moving. Yeah. Uh, um, different, definitely different. Uh, experience than my dad but they all went to the same county school they all you know that's how they met and that's how they you know 
that's how they met, you know. So in meeting, coming here, being married, and then moving to Detroit. Yeah, they say like the people. Detroit, Detroit, compared to Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you cut, you said it. country yeah 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 yeah. a little bit country there (laughs) so moving to detroit you said your dad was a teacher yeah he's a teacher uh black man teaching yeah in what era in the in the 60s actually it it, by the 70s so he started in the 70s yeah he he was was, a vietnam vet and then he then he started teaching here in the 70s Mm. actually at uh durfee middle school which i went to right down the street right Thank God I missed that whole point of him being in the same in Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say your dad was oh man, it uh, yeah. was like no fun for you. Yeah, he he was at a different school by the time I went to <laughs> Durfee, but okay. from Durfee Middle School and then he ended up at Pulse Middle School, which is hmm. where he spent the rest of his uh his uh time. So I'm at, guessing I'm guessing when your dad rides around just being it's so rare to see a black man teach. Yeah. In yeah. public schools, yep. but I can imagine in the seventies or eighties, yeah, it was really rare. So like, you may just be like anywhere with your dad, and somebody walk up like Mr. Jackson. That is like, absolutely hey, the experience. They <laughs> called him. Remember when you kicked me out of school? Oh man. yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely the experience. They that's called him Jack, and I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, everywhere we would go, hey, is Jack your dad? Like, yep. Did he whoop you too? Like, uh, nope, because I had very sensitive one <laughs> to make that brother mad or do anything. Right? No, I live with the brother, so I know not I to. I knew what was up. Right. I, I knew what was up. The so, foolishness you were doing. Right. But even recently, maybe in the last year, there was a celebration at his church where students from years and years that he taught came to mm. just go to church with him one Sunday. So, wow. Yeah. I think being a teacher, being a man, and being a black man, um, English teacher on top of that, that Mm. that was very unique. Yeah, I I mean, so unique. I have a uncle in Chicago. Okay. It's, uh, (laughs) oh man, Uh, for years on the south side of Chicago at Dunbar, he was an assistant principal, then became a principal. Uh, My uncle Edgar, he's 97 now wow. but to this day like it's so many people because it was just so rare to see any black man right in any capacity involved in school right uh then but so like through the some of the 60s 70s 80s 90s yep. Yep. but um, even to this day yeah it's very few black men yep that uh, that you see in teaching capacities yep. i can definitely think of my school journey like let's talk about middle school yeah it was in uh, halley Halley's okay. a magnet school okay but throughout halley i i want to say uh mr nabechi um mm, and the basketball coach coach hall it was two black men other than the principal and it's so weird like institutions sometimes end up that like that so like the administrator will be a black man (laughs) but everything else is run by women yeah yep that's that's pretty true especially i mean i i find that in government institutions and you definitely find that in education Uh, and and education i even mean libraries schools Mm -hmm. all of that 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 tends to be the pattern that we're seeing yeah, and, and it's impactful because at those ages, especially like middle school, 
just having the role in the presence of a man that's conducting himself uh, in a in a way that you it challenges your perspective, right? Because you know a woman definitely can wield the discipline. Oh, absolutely. Uh, of young men, but it's just a different presence when a man walks up to you. It's like, hey. I mean, it's the same for a a woman or a girl to have a male presence to in discipline or anything else. I mean, I, I think it's important mm. um, to have both both male female experience or see role models. I guess you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Growing up, seeing that and and seeing them in different types of experiences, whether they are administrative. Or mm-hmm. a teacher like like my dad was. Okay, so as you're talking a little bit about your dad, what mm-hmm. was your mom doing when she made her way to Detroit? Oh wow! So my mom ended up being a housewife, but also a minister. Wow. Um, which is definitely a unique to have a minister as a mom and a and at the time a teacher uh, as a dad. The the same thing about the black male teacher. Yeah. In that era, <laughs> the woman minister. Uh, yeah. It's not <laughs> in that era, and just like the black male teacher, it's still not very prevalent to this day. Right. right. You know, um, it, it's rare to even see a woman, you know, especially in the black church. Yeah, and we were definitely in, in a any, church. you know, to 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 get access yeah. to speak. And the, the great thing too is. So her being a minister, but we also attended a church where the pastor was a woman, like wow. doctorate and all of that. So, of course, I didn't know till I got older that that was a unique experience. Oh, you know? so you were like living in it, and you just were thinking like, oh, no, this everybody is, do this. That's everybody. just pastor. What what church? Um, the name of it was uh, New Creation Church. It was mm-hmm. apostolic. It used to be. It's still there on Greenfield near Puritan mm-hmm. um, of course our pastor passed away some time ago but um, yeah I had no clue you can, you can say her name oh her, her, her name was uh, Reverend, Dr. Reverend Lottie Glenn Ritchie mm-hmm. um, um, and uh, beautiful spirit learned a lot about just being a spiritual person uh-huh. and um, definitely the elegance of a woman I definitely learned by seeing her every Sunday you know and and in that in that realm as people talk uh, we we think of uh, really one of the most iconic voices Mm -hmm. of anything and everything Detroit and uh, her her name should always be shouted whenever we can but Martha Jean the Queen when Mm -hmm. we think (laughs) of uh, a woman definitely yielding the faith yeah. The, the spirit, uh, raising people's, uh, raising people's optimism. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really enjoyed. You know, um, I mean, I had my challenges with church as I grew up, but mm-hmm. um, I enjoyed that. I had no clue of the uniqueness of what I was growing up in. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that uh, seeing her doing what men do and Mm -hmm. doing it so eloquently Mm -hmm. you know what i loved is that you know we do have preachers in here in the world that 
were what they call called, but there are also those that have taken, have been called to this, but have also taken the time to get the education mm-hmm. too. And she had that doctor mm. in front of her name. So, so you couldn't theology. Yes. So Not you couldn't deny storefront preaching, as, <laughs> as they say. And Papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she did her storefronts, but you can't deny <laughs> what she was. Preaching. So that that was as I grew up, I really um, appreciated that yeah. a lot more. And then my mom being a minister too, and and really learning. I mean, seeing her study, it wasn't you know mm-hmm. it. That even to this day, studying not just the one book, but studying several different books from several different places to understand the history and the spirituality as well as the religion. And mm. I think that, that that's important. So, okay. Yeah. So so growing up with the word yeah. and, and someone in, from a military background, yes, I can only imagine, man, the the strict nature. <laughs> Yeah. Of that household, you all probably up on like Saturday at six in the morning doing chores. Yeah, <laughs> probably not six. We, but not too far off from that, man. <laughs> it was like, look, you gotta do like, this, yep. then you can watch the cartoons. Exactly, it's it that like, kind oh. of thing. At least, like, oh. but we did get to watch the cartoons, so it like, wasn't oh, all man. bad. <laughs> gotta go watch these books, buddy. <laughs> right, right, Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> so. With that, I'm talking about your creativity. Hmm. As when did things spark for you um, in this structure of like um, of having parents that were more uh, in in disciplinary roles of like something far from what people tie together as creativity. And you know that's the strangest thing. So I I've always drawn. I can remember from being five. Mm-hmm. Um, I always dra- drawn from there, and um, my parents. I never really played with dolls and things like that. They would mm-hmm. buy me what they would call art kits, which would be these packages with crayons and paint. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. I, I never really got dolls, and because I think they saw what you liked, and they they bought mm-hmm. those things. And even um, and they were really big about us doing extracurricular activities. So all of us know how to play instruments. You know, what uh, what was uh, your instrument that you liked most? Uh, I played. Well, I started with uh, strings, but okay. I, I ended up with woodwinds. So uh, clarinet is what I, mm. I I love. But okay, uh, and and all of that I think just made us uh, more well-rounded people. Mm. But to answer the question, I I've drawn since I was five. Hmm. And I kept doing it until, you know, you get in middle school, you get too cool for school, and you kind of stop doing Mm -hmm. certain things. But um, I went back to it as I got older. Do you you have uh, any of those original pieces that you did? I'm pretty sure my mom probably got some. But you don't have anything? No, uh, I don't, you know. You don't have, like, Sunny Day from Six? Nah, my mom kept things and even to this day I'm not one to keep things she, she oh. does so I'm, I'm pretty sure she might have an original Donna Jackson somewhere let's talk a little bit about that is yeah. it, it in your creative flow you say you're not one to keep things even to this day yeah what is it about the uh, process of not wanting to hold on like what what has you there well well let me say this 
I am quite a minimalist. I, I, I don't I just don't like a lot of things around me. But when it comes to my paintings now, I I do tend to keep those more so because I'm not um, painting to sell or painting to um, I'm not painting to sell or to become a, a, a artist in that respect. I'm painting as this almost um, therapy, getting to know who I am, getting to know the world around me, and I'm just doing that. And um, so, and then the other thing is, I mean, when you have a, a day job, your art doesn't have to feed you so mm -hmm. you some some people like myself tend to look at art not as a a way to uh, income right now so I've had it's almost like a luxury to really use it to get to to know me so yes I do not like a lot of things around me I do tend not to keep a lot of things but the art Right now, I, I do because I'm still trying to figure out me. Okay, minimalist. Minimalist, absolutely. As you talk a little bit about that, and I'm jumping the gun on a lot of your life story. <laughs> I'm going straight into this because you, you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, I watched like a little um, a Netflix documentary about like minimalism. <laughs> and this guy that was like, I'm just going to live on, you know, like. Like, like two shirts and one pair yeah, of pants something like that <laughs> what even led you into the 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 theory of like less is more i i kind of think that something that holds us or kind of the the need of having things i just think is kind of um I think it's a controlling mechanism and I think the less things that you have um, actually creates a value of the things you do have that's one and I just think I mean if you look at other parts of the world where people you know you don't need a lot to live you know you don't I, I, I think America and our consuming has created this kind of world where oh, I want the newest, I want the hottest, I want I want all this stuff. And I, I just think it really clutters your mind, it clutters your thoughts, it clutters your your life. I mean, mm -hmm. and some of us, you, you can't even pick up and go because you got so much stuff. You got so many things that you think are valuable. And, and um, I, I just don't want to be stuck somewhere because of the value of some things that really you can't take with you when you transition out of this world where is that stuff going to be it's going to be right here I'm, a, I'm going out like king tut they're going to bury i'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get a big old way to bury me with my camera uh, no, I, <laughs> like did you see uh like it like on it uh, instagram it was a pretty pretty popular meme right now um going around maybe like two weeks ago it was like mm -hmm. a guy that died they had him like playing the xbox 360 oh wow and like he was in like uh, some sneakers and, and a jersey with a do rag. Ain't no, I, I <laughs> like can say that it was like one of the most like this is I'm like this is like so I'm like this is like a social statement of uh, uh, on so many layers, and it was artistic to me just looking at it. Yeah. Most people were laughing at it, right? But I was just like, man, this is it, it went like sometimes people I find art 
due to the expression of it. Yeah. And who he was. Right. And what that captured. Because the intentionality of whoever set that up for him. Whoever uh, specifically was picking, like, all of these different items. That's like, crazy. Like, I was just looking at it like, this is, like, art to be. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I, I don't want to be that dude. I, 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 <laughs> I don't. I, I kind of want to. I don't want to. You know, I... You know, Gandhi was definitely a minimalist. I uh, that's an extreme I haven't gotten to, but mm-hmm. I don't want to be controlled by stuff either. Mm-hmm. So, and I like coming into my house and my space and it's open and mm-hmm. that means as a creative person, you kind of need it, I don't know if it's psychological or whatever. It almost feels like I that space helps me think. Mm-hmm. That space helps me um see and I think the more stuff that I would have in that space, um, I don't think I could have that now. But there's other times where I need to go to museums or go to a bar or a cafe or even to my parents' house to get inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but so your personal, your fortress of solitude needs to be in a space with less. Absolutely. And and you're yep. like me. You you experienced uh, the the in excess 80s yeah <laughs> where it was like you know we want more it's about mm-hmm. more um yep. yep you know the best pair of shoes i have is yep. the one at the store that i ain't bought yet right you know like that that theory right. yep that's know? the time i grew up in and having parents that to go back to them mm-hmm. that did not allow us to fall into the I see all that stuff, but this is where we at kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want that, you're going to have to go get a job and get it yourself. Mm-hmm. We're not getting those things for you. There are some things, like Christmas comes, and they like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, make that Christmas list, and you you might get one or two of them. But they didn't want you to value that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and now I appreciate it. I think I appreciate it, period, because I wasn't all into all of that. I like Adidas and Pumas. I get it, but I wasn't all into. Oh, I gotta get um, the colors. Remember the Levi jeans that were the different colors. I wasn't. I wasn't into that. So I think the minimal um, bug was always there, and I just got older, and I was like, this, this is the kind of life I, I want to live. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it in in young person culture when you. Uh, when you walk your when you're walking through Meyer, Kmart, or Target and say, I'm about to buy some jeans from these people. You have crossed you have crossed the line. <laughs> you, you find yourself like, okay, the park pockets aren't as deep, but I'm getting some new pants. Yeah. You know, I, I do like quality things. I have to mm-hmm. say that. I mean, I'm I'll do the thrift shop things, but I'll also go and get something from a higher mm-hmm. but it, I, but that's the, the my quality I don't yeah. think I have to you uh, don't you're not defining your quality based on on what they said and the trend is the hottest thing is what what I want yeah so let's talk a little bit more about that process just being at Central High School <laughs> Central High School um, America's first public <laughs> one. that's correct and definitely a staple in this community right right um what was central like for you so let me say this you saw 
I, I love the experience. I mean, it. Uh, many people thought that I was going to go to like Cast Tech or Renaissance mm -hmm. and all that, and there was something rebellion, a rebellion in me. I was like, I don't think I have to, as a smart intellectual kid, have to go to that school, those schools to get the education I wanted. It's a bunch of cast technicians like, what you talking about? It's right okay. Now. Yeah, I mean, I, I have some cast technicians I, that I love, but. Yeah, as I travel, as I travel the, the states. Yeah. And I run into other black people. Right. Yeah, it's always generally somebody from Renaissance or Cats. <laughs> it's, it's rare that you know I see my Northwestern people like, oh, what the, what, well, what, what situation <laughs> have you gotten yourself into? <laughs> I, I mean, even when I was in college, I would like uh, the assumption was I tell them I'm from Detroit, and yep. they they assumed I went to Cass yep. Tech, and. Yeah. And that was a wrong assumption. So I, I at Central High, I actually was. Most of my siblings were in this project program called Project Challenge, where you only had 12 to 15 kids in the classroom, and your grading scale was like 95 to 100 was an A. So we were having that kind of experience you needed, you know, mm -hmm. to get. So that was that. Yeah, it was. It was. We were in an urban school, so you had urban stuff to deal with. There yeah. was the guns, there was oh, the yeah. the weed, there was oh, yeah. the, you know, yeah, the that, fights. There that, was that all crossroads that. of Dexter and Linwood. Correct. I mean, come on now. Oh, yeah. I was between Dexter and Linwood. Oh, there God. was that was some. Oh my God. That was three rough blocks you had to walk oh. to get home between Dexter and Linwood, but. You get two types of education. I got a great education from the Detroit public school system growing up. But I also got an education of being a Detroiter in the streets. You cannot live, even middle class or whatever, you cannot live in Detroit and not get the education of what's happening in the streets and be safe. There's no way. And so I learned both. You had to learn both. And as you talk about that, I often get into these discussions with friends that uh, are from other school systems and everything. And mm -hmm. they talk about what should be in the school system. And this should be there and this should be there. And I'm like, yo, man, some of the street shit, uh, depending upon the life that this kid is going to continue to live. Right. Is a survival yeah. instinct you're learning. Like, Absolutely. I, I was sitting... One time with a group of kids when I was at um, one of the last chance schools. <laughs> and the kids were just talking about, like, looking at somebody's hands mm -hmm. and telling what drugs they're using. Wow. And I was like, man, this is like some old drug counselor type <laughs> stuff. But in reality, I'm like, that could be the difference between yep. knowing if somebody's tweaking, knowing yep. if somebody's playing, knowing, right. you know, how to engage. Right what's happening and what's going on oh absolutely absolutely i mean and even knowing the sounds of your street you know yeah and knowing knowing what sounds normal and what doesn't sound normal and knowing where yeah. to go and where to run knowing the people on your street knowing what people are into all of that yeah i mean like here we go here's a classic one i was with my friend sterling and one of my accounts the other day yeah it was like a little tussle between some kids and then and then I was like oh man it's just kids fighting it's cool 
and this is just like so long because this is just you know growing up in these environments as you talk about like guns existing generally like you'll hear a fight and then everything gets silent yeah it's like oh man you better start ducking <laughs> you know because mm, yeah. it's like oh the fight has turned into mm, gun being drawn bigger yep so like it, it and this is just as you talk about like hearing the sounds yes there are certain and sounds, knowing that yes. like okay i'm someone is about to get shot and that could be me so yeah, this is my protocol right. yeah now i'm e- in the house duck right. get a rifle from the window even hearing sounds of the change in in how people are talking to each other yeah even from that i mean it, it, but i don't think all of that i don't think i think that's an education that's a secondary education yeah. that came from being mm. where i was but Again, Detroit Public School, I got a well-rounded education from music to art to math to all of that. I'm glad I went to Central mm-hmm. and um, my cast technician friends, you know, I'm glad Shout you got out to, to go. Them too. Yeah. Uh, who, were, who were some of your favorite teachers at Central? Uh, I'm going to name two. One was the math teacher. The other was my music teacher. So my math teacher, Miss Whitaker, mm-hmm. I went from trigonometry all the way to calculus three with her Mm. i mean i've had other teachers but that was someone that i would Mm. go to on a regular basis and just Mm. she she was brilliant Mm -hmm. hard hard Mm -hmm. as nails but brilliant and my music teacher mr nicholson um just really taught me a lot not only about music he used to give me symphony tickets every other friday to go and see the symphony and uh, I already like classical music, but that really just—I mean, it really just opened up a world for me to be able to go into this space where maybe little brown black kids don't go and and sit and and be with adults and be with different people of economic status and hear Tchaikovsky and Wagner and and all of that and and know what it is because I have a teacher that taught me that and then wanted me to have access to it so yeah um very yeah definitely a good teacher good man so central over to where from central to uh western michigan and kalamazoo Mm -hmm. um and then from there i actually came back just came back to detroit like most people and you kind of like okay i went to school now what Mm -hmm. Uh, i i I had those years where you're just floundering about you don't know what you want to do with your Mm -hmm. stuff and all right now now as you talk about that it's many it's many younger people in that space like yeah you know out of college maybe even out of high school out of a trade school just you know in that age range where they're living with their parents yep um it seems like you know er- every other kid is i don't know you know living like silver spoons or something <laughs> and it's like damn why am i why, why are you struggling here? right yeah, why am i struggling yeah um what what was your mentality and state and what were you working on during that creative um i to be honest that was a very tough time for me, like between uh, college and I'd say maybe 
like 26, 27, 28 mm -hmm. from uh, dealing with, uh, be, you know, depression, which mm -hmm. being a kid that came coming from the discipline house I came from, being black um, um, things like therapy and all those kind of things they were a little bit of taboo to it especially mm -hmm. in the 90s there people are a little bit more open about it now yeah like but uh, then it was a little bit taboo and it was hard because at least my mental capacity was something I was always um, sure about mm -hmm. and um, it was getting tested and tried and broken and all of that. So even your mental capacity and your intellect is not always shored up. And that was a lesson I learned from that. But anyway, during that time, I mean, with that and just not knowing what I'm going to do in my, in my life and... Um, you go away from college and you're kind of by yourself and you're, you're, you're being an adult. You're taking care of responsibility. You come back and then you're back into this kind of your parents' house. Mm -hmm. It's That's a lot of... It was... I don't know what I would do. So creatively, I wasn't doing anything creative. Because of the expression. Now, yeah. what was stifled just due to the reflection of yourself. Yeah. And Point blank think, period. Um, as I run into a lot of a lot of younger people in that range. Yeah. Um, why do you think so many young people put that pressure on themselves at that young age to like because I felt it too like that I have to reach this goal of success yep. as if it's as if it's like somebody like a you know like a, a finishing line rope <laughs> well, <laughs> at the end of 30 or something <laughs> like you gotta cross it and you gotta have this 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 and this will happen and that'll happen I really think that consciously or subconsciously America has created this narrative of or these rules of what you're supposed to do so you go to high school you go to college you get your degree you get a job you get married you have some kids and and your life is going to be grand. That's what I think. Uh -huh. And I think we all believe that. But from jump, once you got in college and it didn't take you four years to finish, it took you six. Mm -hmm. They already, that whole dream that <laughs> start to crack. Now, now, when you talk about that, that dream, and yeah. you said we all sort of believe it, is that explicitly, is that implicit? Like, do you think that some of that is just, just subconscious like how much of that as we definitely know it's like a overarching society that's pushing that narrative but how much is that in the back of my mind when you when just just period just like i, I really know. think it is genetically ingrained in american society even if we don't say it i think now it's kind of those threads are coming to loose but I do think it's genetically ingrained that this, this is what all this is for. But there are so many things that we weren't told when you went to college that four years, you're not getting out in four years unless you go the whole time, right? Um, unless you have some kind of income and resource that, that you know, falling out of the sky, who knows? I mean, that's one thing. Who told you that what you majored in the nine out of ten times your job is not going to be connected to what you just spent four or five years you know learning most of us right all those things um that 
that that relationship that you thought you were gonna marry that girl or that guy most likely that ain't gonna happen I mean it's all these things that I think um, were fairy tale written in a fairy tale structure that nobody really told you hey yeah that that's the optimal thing but here's what happens with 80% of us and you got to be okay with this this thing it's okay between the ages of 21 and 28 not to know what the hell you want to do I mean those kind of things are I don't I wish there was more honesty about what life really truly looks like and more honesty that there is no finish line at 30 or 32 uh, I mean you know there's 40 I know, 50 40 60, 50 70. I know women that are just trying to grab partners to have kids I mean I know biologically there are some some limitations uh, yeah, yeah. but trying to dr- grab a partner just to have kids to be so that they can for womanhood experience or what I'm like we have created a structure of rules that that just need to be reevaluated and changed and um, and I think that age range is one where you can get lost or you can um, catapult and it uh, it really is and I I think it's almost like being in the middle and you are you're in the middle of from coming from moving from child to adult truly are and I just think you get thrown aside because you're not 15 and um, you are 21 you do have a job you might have some adult like experience but really I need help finding out who the heck I am I don't know who I am what am I supposed to do with this so I think that's what happened I think those rules need to just be get rid of them and in that time frame what you should be doing is creating vision creating goal and finding out who you are so when you hit maybe the early 30s you're like man I got it I mean sometimes some of us don't hit it till we get in our 40s 50s whatever but I think there's these things where people like oh you get married you get your job and you get your education in your 20s like you don't even know who the hell you are in your 20s so how are you supposed to be creating that kind of struck I think we need to be a little nicer to ourselves in that time frame I, I, I feel you on it yeah so let's let's talk about your creative flow as okay. you're you're like me in the sense of you have many different disciplines yeah. graphic design video yep um, you work with many creatives yep what steered you in this space that you know you and I are mm-hmm. like you know, uh, more so, I rarely meet people. Uh, you know, and the, and the number one question is we, as I think society comes sometimes forces us into this, like yeah. you say, like that age range. Yeah. Because yeah, when you're 23 and you're doing, you're starting to do what we right. do. Like right. It's like yeah, man, I just like spending like seven hours on Photoshop yesterday, and it's like you know what's Photoshop? This this <laughs> this 1998, so this is Photoshop too. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, man, I spent about seven hours on Photoshop playing around with this uh, Red Man album cover, seeing if I could change it around. You know, that's what I was doing yesterday. You know, that's not as clearly defined as like I'm an engineer. You're right. You know what I'm saying? So a person immediately asked what do you do oh yeah like, Damn, I, don't even know how to answer I question. totally like, hate that question because 
I can't like the definition of like I I I don't I, I just learned what your name is, but I'm about to quantify the value right. of who you are based on you giving an answer to right. what do you do? Yeah, I just I mean, so just to you're right, I do a lot of different things from graphic to design to strategist to project management to I'm a artist, meaning a visual artist. I write. I, I mean, the, I'm definitely a left brain, right brain person. I, I mean, I went to school for engineering, but I, I'm also this artist, right? So when people ask you what, what I am, I think I'm most comfortable saying I'm an artist. I'm a storyteller. I am a builder of platforms for people to speak, to be seen, to be heard. Um, I complete stuff. That's really like an important I part of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think no of stuff and I complete stuff. Okay. Uh, so that's me. <laughs> so so in this journey to completing stuff, when did it start like clicking that, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna work on this project with this company in this organization in this person mm -hmm. and then maybe myself when did this all start coming together uh, I, I think really not until um, so developing projects I don't think that really started happening until maybe 2005 2006 okay. um, I was a graphic designer before that so you give me a task I'm create what you wanted me to create and then I became like a graphic design manager for Detroit Public Library but um, my career took me to Houston where I became a brand manager where the strategies and marketing and the creativity really came together it infused and that was the first time where I could totally use both sides of my brain and um, and a lot of the things you were I was developing were these projects that in the whole were creating this um, this brand or personality or this experience which was Houston Public Library so I think that I really saw the power of project development I saw the power of creating experiences I saw the power of collective um, storytelling and and even just getting community together so that they can interact with each other and letting them take what they've learned and seen or expressed and taking it out into the community and sharing about, at least with this thing, that Houston Public Library experience. So, and so that's where I really started. And then I was like, I can take the same thing. While I was there, that's when a lot of things were happening here in Detroit with this transition at the time Quant, uh, Kilpatrick was the, uh, was the mayor. mayor and it was a lot of different things happening with that I was hearing about all oh, this different insurgents and different transitions that were happening in Detroit and here I am in Houston building you know I'm building community building um, experiences building an organization in a way in Houston I was like I want to take that back home and do the same thing so that's what I did took what I learned from Houston 
came back here and started developing projects with all the different narratives that I saw was missing um, using art that's what I started doing so. this is such a cool interview for me just because <laughs> so much of your story it it, it, it colors in the lines <laughs> into my story in the sense of like yeah those 20s yeah. and feeling my way through yeah. on so many different things yeah um, those things now it's like Mr. Miyagi like, mm-hmm. a, like, a, like a ghost of Mr. Miyagi. Like, you don't even know how. How ghosty. Exactly. That you learned. Right. You know, that I learned working at Pizza Hut right. at 23. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to help that, you. It's going to be something I apply. Right. To what I do with my marketing firm today. Absolutely. The I mean, flow of people. Minor things. Like, minor things. Like, um,. I have this book that I carry around everywhere. I write my list of what I'm doing that day in that book. But the way that I do this book, or the way I write my list, the way I take just the process of it came from people that I met in different jobs. Like, just meeting people have changed how I work or changed how I create. And and so all of that. So, so um, I, I guess the thing is, don't take everything is important. Everything you can learn from everything. Nothing is minute. Um, I don't think I could. Maybe I couldn't have built like I built without having these processes that I used in these book that I learned from a person that just happened to be sitting in a meeting with me, right? So all of that, all those connections, everything you do is needed for you to get to where you need to go. Wait, now you just dropped a gym. So basically, you've developed a workbook. Oh, yeah. From working with people. Oh, absolutely. And you just ask them a little bit about their process. Yeah, absolutely. And you like filter out like, okay, I can apply that. I yep. like that. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, um, whatever, uh, Keisha Johnson and... <laughs> <laughs> you know that I met <laughs> in a meeting does bop 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 yep. and I mean, you ever use it. Yep. I mean I think it's so important to you can learn I mean it sounds so cliche but it is so real. You can learn from anybody mm-hmm. anything but you gotta be open to it. Um, and I think that goes back to like this Cass Central thing. You know Cass has this reputation of building these very bright intelligent creative people and it's and there's truth to that but that doesn't mean that central doesn't create that and that you can't get unique creative intellectual creative stuff from there too so it's kind of like, like that thing you can't just look at a person and say this is a person I'm going to learn stuff from because then you might miss old dude that stands in front of the store that you know have his beer bottle in the bag that he might have the one link that you need in order to get to where else you need so yeah it's it's important take it all in um it's just important to take it all in and don't think anything is minute and that you can't learn from anything and everything so so with that right now and you still travel yeah um, but detroit today Mm-hmm. What's 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 your temperament like? How how do you feel about the opportunities for you and what you do here and mm. and the people you're working with, the projects you've worked on? 
future projects that you'd like to work on. Mm -hmm. What what role will Detroit play in that? Okay, oh, that's a. When I was away, I I felt so strongly that I wanted to be back home doing things for my hometown. And if I'm gonna be, if I have a talent, I want it to happen and use it in Detroit. That was so important to me. And it still is because I'm pretty sure um, my base will always be here, but the, it's so important for me to travel, so. But my base is here, so I, I wanna make sure that I give back to, I wouldn't be me if I didn't live in Detroit, right? So I wanna give back, but the importance has has changed a little bit for me. Uh, I think it's more important to be uh, a good human being to other human beings and that I want my work to be about human beings. So initially a lot of my projects were very, very Detroit focused from Middle Detroit, which was a a short film interview thing that focused on middle-class Detroiters, you know, that to um, Door Project, which was transforming of doors into art by local artists, um, and just certain sh exhibitions that were really about Detroit and building it up. And in doing that, I started meeting other people from different places, um, and I just... So I, I did this poster exhibition where I, there were over a hundred posters and a lot of the people were from different countries and that opened me up. And, and I just yesterday I got an email from someone I met through this process. Um, her name is Floor. She's from Australia. The first time I talked to her, we talked about her kid, my life and all of that. And now I have a friend in Australia that emails me and just say I thought about you yeah. you know so and but that all came from project development and and the artwork so it's I, now it's like I want to build I want to keep building platforms because there's definitely certain people that don't have one to speak and to create so that's important and this will be my base but it's so much more important that I'm a human being creating human being experiences than it is about Detroit. And as you talk about experiences, that's like the really the pulse of a lot of this creativity. Yeah. As you know, we touched on this and we're wrapping up this interview, but okay. we, we touched on this and I want you to kind of expand as creatives right now, the opportunities to make content mm -hmm. are abundant. Video, mm -hmm. graphic design, photography, uh, animation mm -hmm. is needed in such a level right now to just grab the attention of people, whether it be for uh, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, or ad campaign, or, or for so many things. It could be for a brand. It could be you know a person's brand. It could be for to sell a product or service. It could be for an organization to raise funds. Like the the skill sets we have are expanding. Right now, with these skill sets, the science of it mm. is still the intentionality of engaging people, but people want to engage to experience. Right. So, with these tools that are designed 
under the premise of making us more sociable. Mm-hmm. We're becoming less and less. Yeah. Yeah. Interactive. Yeah. Which is kind of laying it at the feet of us as yeah. creatives to design an experience that's artificial. Like you know, it's like we're like people are like, yeah, I want to connect to more people. So it's like, all right, so let me create a. Uh, <laughs> Let me create an artificial experience for you to engage so you with someone else. To give you permission to engage, right? Yeah. Um, so how, how do you how do you feel about what's beginning to happen as uh, just explicitly right now? Um, it may be one of the... I don't, I don't even know what to say about all this stuff pre- with our current president. <laughs> the last presidential election... Mm-hmm. It's explicitly known that through um, through bots buying Facebook ads mm-hmm. with some form of Russian influence yeah. influenced our election. Yeah. So, so um, one thing just to talk about that, um, you, you know, knowledge is power, right? And if we would stop using social media as the only way of getting knowledge and content and actually read for ourselves, research for ourselves and all of that, those things, whether it's true or not, well, we know it's true, but with the ads and all that that happened in our election, would not have had such a a placeholder because we would have had the structures in our life to to get knowledge ourselves and not just believe everything we read and see that happened on social media so that's that's one thing i think too social media makes it easier to um to not engage Right, I can say what I wanted and I can run over here and you can't talk to me, you can't say anything for me. I, I think um, it's not a natural discourse. Like no, it, to walk in the bar and say, Look, right, right, Let, let's sit and chill and have let's a make conversation. America you. Right, look, you're gonna then someone will say, Okay, so at what point was America great? And then at what point did America not be great? I think. I, but but I'm just saying that oh, okay. those questions would be posed. Yeah, you can have to the conversations. If, like yeah, right. I can make a post about something, right? right. And, yeah. and then move on. Yeah. And whereas in real life, right, I'm, I'm dealing with a. And when you're one on one, you should. I mean, when you're talking to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's when humanity comes out. Whereas when you're just posting, I mean, not saying you can't have. A human experience. I met my friend in Australia through, you know, this whole right social media. I think we have to put it in its place. Um, I, I just think that the pendulum has gone too far as using social media as the communication and connector, and we have gotten away from connecting just as human beings on a day-to-day basis. The way that we should be. I mean, have you been in a restaurant? You'll see people at a table, right? They're there to connect with each other, right? And they are on the freaking phone. They're just—they're not even talking to the person that are, that's across from them. So, I think um, all this technology—it's wonderful. It allows us to do what we do. It makes us closer to people that are in 
Cuba and certain parts of Africa that we probably wouldn't have had that connection to, right? But at the same time, you still need to be able to just pick up a phone and call a friend, go out and have tea and have a one-on-one, have a conversation with someone that doesn't agree with you. Living in Texas, I'm a, I, I, I guess if I want to categorize myself, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'm all that liberal or conservative. That doesn't matter to me. But to live in a place like Texas where there's a lot of things I didn't agree with and people would say, but I could have those conversations and still love the people that said it, that's an important experience for me. So when I come back here and it's more homogenous thinking and I'm like, well, I get you, but I actually have somebody I love here, right, that thinks different than you. But I still love them for who they are. And it's like those kind of things. But I don't think social media would allow that kind of... A social media alone can allow that kind of experience. So, yes, we are creating these events and experience to give people permission to socialize and to connect. Um, I think we have to do that until it normalizes again to where it be. You know, connecting is a regular part of our life. Um, I think that's, so as creatives, that's what we're doing. We have to normalize socializing again. Wow. Um, Ain't that something. Yeah. That's unfortunate, but hey. Get a friend instead of a friend's list. (laughs) A (laughs) friend. Both are awesome, but yeah, I got five thousand friends friends listed. Listed, but I have no friend to go out with. (laughs) When you're in, uh, I'll say this: friend to go to a party with. I'll say this, and then whatever. Um, I'm a, I was, am, and was a fan of Anthony Bourdain. I mean, you can see that how raw and beautiful this person was, and that's, you know, those kind of things, like, um. His life was so unique and different from so many people. There wasn't someone there that could connect with him. Yeah. That he could talk to on on that level. And even though all this love that people, you know. Yeah, it, it almost ends up being like having a friend. You know, you know, you can almost have an emotional breakdown. You can, yes, you know, I could almost have an emotional breakdown. Like somebody sincerely calling, like, "How are you doing?" Yes, and it's like, okay, what, what this person? Do? Yes, and it's like, no, no. How are you? How doing? are you doing? And it's like, what do you want? And it's yeah, like, no, no. I, I, I really specifically to just know. Like, yeah, how are you doing? And and I part and it's of like, my oh man, I'm about to have an emotional yes, breakdown. Yes, this person even cares about me. Yes, <laughs> and and to me, for for me, my lifestyle, my creativity, all of that allows me space to actually stop. When somebody runs in your mind, like a friend, you know, a friend runs in your mind. I have the I call, I text, I email, say, hey, you just ran through my mind. I just want to see how you are, and. Hey, if we can talk later today, let's do that. My lifestyle allows for that kind of connectivity. But that should be something we all have because I see how it makes my life a lot better. I create better. I can connect better. Um, um, it's too much loneliness in this world with all this connectivity. It, it makes it's absolutely a no it's sense. It's a lot. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot of just... You know, it's a lot of people, even in, as you say, like, you know, out together to eat, 
yep. and then the phone and you're the on your phone or yep. like many of the distractions or i guess distractions the, the, oh my the, gosh what you say you don't like clutter <laughs> but the clutter because the clutter can distract you yes yeah you know? but it's hard to the distractions keep you from looking at all the stuff that you got to look at and clean up and fix and solve right so if you're distracted with your phone and with music and with radio with doing 18,000 things it's easy to say I can't take care of my soul my spirit my you know when you got all these other things that seem priority because they're more tangible right but when you got when you get rid of all that and it's just you in the room you and her in the room you or him in the room right what else you gonna do you gotta yeah. gotta connect and life as you grow older it, it becomes that and yeah. so I'm transitioning and looking at some of my biggest heroes heroes you know as they get older like my uncle Edgar <laughs> 97 you know right. like you think about uh, and man uncle Edgar's story is deep like he went to Tuskegee oh okay uh, poultry science to the point where he actually was one of his assignments through his uh, through his, one of his agricultural classes was to give chicken livers to George Washington Carver so he had a wow personal relationship with George Washington Carver that's, that's history right there yeah so but at 97 you know he's just spending time with my cousin Edgar like mm-hmm. his son as his son kind of cares for him like this is we're gonna end up in a space as we grow older. Yeah. If we're if we're given the, the, the blessing of growing older, where we definitely will come face to face with like, yeah, you is you in your life. Right. The those distractions They're gone. Yeah. So can you live with yourself? It becomes such that's the question. Can you live with yourself? So all the stuff you're doing, yes, it's important. But the bottom line is, can you live with yourself? And that means loving yourself. That means being real with yourself. And the only way you can know that is get rid of all the distractions and really be with you. And I think loneliness goes away with that. I think uh, a lot of the things that hurt and painful things, they go away when you can learn how to be okay with you. And I'm not saying that's easy, because it ain't. That's not easy. Um, but it is necessary. And that's what all the stuff that's going on in the world is we've distracted ourselves. We are scared to look at ourselves deeply and, um, and accept the cracks and all that kind of stuff. And then do the work to become better yeah. human beings. I love it. Like, like it definitely is the humanity. Yep. Which closes on the three <laughs> questions I always ask with Detroit is different, which definitely goes to a material thing that <laughs> I think put Detroit on the map. What was your very first car? My very first car, believe uh, it or not. What was the year making model? It and was. And what year did you get? Okay. Uh, my first car was a 2000, I, a 2000 Ford Focus. Okay. It was silver. Okay. I love that little thing. Yeah, uh, yeah that's my first car. Where did you? That was like one of the first ones. Where did you go when you first got it? <laughs> what was your first ride? Oh, that is so crazy! I literally think I drove to my parents' house. <laughs> and showed them the ride. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, look. <laughs> Your dad was looking outside like, who is that? <laughs> Most likely, he probably was Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that old school dad. Yeah. Make sure you doors new. Right. <laughs> You know, you gotta make sure they, you know, classic Detroit. Can't make your call on a Friday or a Monday. <laughs> what, what day did they make this call? You That's gotta make sure you get a call on Wednesday. <laughs> you know how the plant be, be drunk on a Friday. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he probably was with me, but I know that was that the first place school, I went. Yeah, old school Detroit. Yeah, it, it's it's been a. No- I don't even know how true it is, but like, you know, all those old school dudes say don't ever buy a car that was built on a Friday or a Monday. <laughs> uh, my dad, my dad's not a car person. You know, he's from Alabama, yeah. but he is definitely old school, old school pops. Dude. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking advantage of a big girl. Yeah. All right. So after that, you're the DJ at the end of the fireworks. Mm. You're at Jefferson and Wood. You get to play three songs. What oh, three wow. songs are you playing? DJ at the end of fireworks for three songs I would play. That is so hard. I listen to a lot of stuff. Um, oh, I, people might not like this, but I there's this um, artist named Glenn Hansard from Ireland. Mm-hmm. He has a song that's called Time. Time will be your healer. Okay. Once again, that's one song. Alabama Shakes, um, Don't Want to Cry No More. Mm. Okay. And then the third, D'Angelo, gotta go to D'Angelo. Uh, anything he wrote. <laughs> anything? Oh, you giving it to me? I will pick "It's All Right" from Brown Sugar. Oh, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. I I love that brother. He needs to do yeah, another yeah, one yeah, real yeah. soon. Okay. I mean, but there's other ones. Raphael yeah, Sadiq. Yeah. You know, I could have gone all over the place. Oh yeah. Africa. Yeah, oh my god. Just so, so much. Thelonious Monk. I mean, three songs ain't oh. enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah, We're going to have to kick you out of the DJ. You're going to Stevie Wonder set. Like, all right. All right. Lights up. So, uh, last question. Yep. You can rename Woodward after one Detroiter. Who would it be in line? Rename Woodward after one Detroiter? Oh. I think I would go with Gilda Snowden, um, artist, female, changed a lot of, uh, just, I, I I did an exhibition with women that were, um, taught by her, and to see how much she's put into Detroit by teaching has been amazing, so I, I think that would be the person I would name the street after, Gilda Snowden. One of our proteges is one of my closest of homies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, always off the chain. Yeah. I need to get her back. The great Jay Rainey. Oh, okay. Got Finding you. Mona Lisa 313. Yeah. Jay is so loud. It's just like, God, what is that? Like, it's like, Jay, hey, it's like, calm down. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's left some beautiful energy oh, yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that would yeah, be it. One of her. One of her mini mentees. Yes, that's a lot out there, and they're strong and beautiful. Yeah. And last, how do people get in contact with you? Find out what you're doing. Oh. I've seen the door exhibit just myself through some work I'm doing. That's yeah. amazing. 
it's some real cool doors. I, I appreciate that, and that's all from local artists here in Detroit. But to see that in other exhibits and other work, you can go to dmjstudio.com. Um, you'll learn about me, my team, and all the stuff we're doing. And um, you can also, any from Twitter to social, any social media, DMJ Studio, you can find me with that as well. Okay. There we go. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank, Thank you. So you. Much. This, was fun. this was cool. Yep. Peace. <laughs>